Well, welcome to the table for another episode and new conversation. This is a podcast really all about following Jesus in the midst of cultural change and diverse beliefs and perspectives. And we are just pursuing what it looks like to be more faithful followers of Jesus in this current cultural moment. Yeah, and it's kind of fun because we're not in our normal studio today, and we're not with just any old normal guest, and all of our guests are unique. He's not old or normal. And he's not old, he's not normal. He is Joel Marbit, missionary, longtime missionary to Ecuador, and we're so glad that he's um, sitting here with us at the table and joining us. Joel, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your family, and it's one fun fact. Wow, thank you guys so First of all, for the invite, this is an amazing opportunity to be able to share with you guys. And um, I've been on the mission field for over 20 years, and uh, I met my wife. We actually got married on the mission field, um, and we have four kids, and four amazing kids that mm. are all walking into their God-given destiny. And now, one fun fact for us, beyond the fact that we live in the Amazon jungle, and we've lived there for over 20 years, and that we travel by canoe and four-wheel drive <laughs> to most of our, just where we work. Um, my name is a family misspelling. Most people look at my name and it's like A-O-I-L. And so they'll say like Joel, but it's no, it's completely just Joel, like the Bible. And actually the way that name came down is my granddad only had the letter J. That's what his parents, his parents named him J. And so his name was J.A. Marbit. And when he was like in his twenties during the great census of the depression, he made his, uh, he, he chose his name. And he misspelled his name. <laughs> and that's just a family spelling. So our family so kept no it. Way. So I just have this misspelled name that's been handed down. Everyone wants to know, like, oh, what's the ethnic background? It's just like, <laughs> just illiteracy, nothing else. It's a typo that you could never so, Exactly. So at what point does it become the way it's supposed to be spelled, though? And yeah. no longer is it misspelled. You know, one thing one thing that we can definitely say as a family is we own our mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> we don't that's get amazing. over it. We're just like, those are ours, man. We're going to hang on to that for the rest of our lives. Awesome. <laughs> that is so funny. I love it. I love it. And we're we're so glad that you're with us. And we just kind of want to talk a little bit about missions and missiology. It's kind of broad and a little general. And I think even the term missions can be watered down, um, could even be misconstrued or misrepresented. So why don't you just kind of talk a little bit about missiology and missions? What does that mean? Maybe even more so on the kind of here on grassroots, like for you guys in the Amazon jungle, what is missiology, but um, as well as maybe broad? You know, I, I didn't really grow up in church and became a believer when I was in my late teens. And immediately I had the opportunity to go on a missions trip. And uh, I think there was a misconception so sealed in my heart from the very beginning that there were missionaries and there was missions. And it was like this separate corporate arm of the church or something. Mm. Um, and for a long time, that was kind of my pursuit. That was kind of my understanding, my thought. And I would even say when I moved to the mission field 22 years ago, that that was still at the forefront, that there was this just, if you want to call it like compartmentalization inside of the church, mm-hmm. that there were the haves and the have nots. And there were ones that there were some that had like this divine purpose and the have nots that were just kind oh, of the yeah. plebes that were there just in the, the church. People. Yeah. Just Thanks the for random people. Plebes. Yeah. But I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, just, true, just the people true. on the bench that had right. really no purpose mm-hmm. and uh, they were going to be it. perpetual church bench warmers mm-hmm. and they were never going to get in the game. Uh, you know, for me, uh, that all started changing when I started looking at the concepts or maybe the clarity of the, of the great commission. And you start looking at all of the endings of the gospels, 
Mm. Right. I mean, we see this incredible um, missio day, or if you want to call it, or we see this incredible um, just string that connects um, all of the all of the endings of the gospels and even the beginning of the book of Acts. So we look at Matthew twenty eight. We look at uh, Mark chapter 16, we look at Luke chapter 24, John chapter 21, and then even like the book of Acts chapter one. Mm -hmm. And all of those are Jesus speaking to the believers in general. And what he's telling the believers in general is this very clear thing. You have a job. You have a divine purpose. You all have a divine purpose that is non-negotiable. And for me, that's missions. Mm -hmm. That's like the fact is we all have a purpose and we all have a role to play. And what we should be very, very concerned about is finding out exactly what that role looks like. Because then Paul actually goes to a deeper level when he starts talking about the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And he says this so clearly. And we all have a function. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not one part of the body of Christ. It's like, no, not me. And for so long, that's been our, that's what we've allowed people in the church to do is kind of wiggle out just because it really didn't fit their narrative. Mm. And what's so sad is they're missing out on the reason they were made. I mean, the actual reason that we're placed here on earth is to be able to give people the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be able to live for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that. He has placed yeah. eternity in the hearts of men. And that means there's something inside of us that's only fulfilled when we're living for eternity. And the way we as believers live for eternity is through missions, hmm. reaching those who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, man, I, I know, Khalil, you got some stuff you want to say, but um, I just think that the culture outside of the church is looking at church in a totally different way than what you just explained. But people inside the church have almost adopted a viewpoint that culture at large has that you, if you're, if you're a Christian, you go to church on Sunday, you, you know, you give money, you sing songs, you do your chants, you swing the incense, whatever your background is on that. But really it doesn't make much of a difference or an impact on you know, me as a person or personally. And it's almost as if followers of Jesus have slipped into that type of uh, mentality that I go to church and I'm a Christian then. And um, I, I sit and I enjoy And maybe I read my Bible a little bit here and there throughout the week, or um, I might serve even, even serving in a ministry at church. But um, I just, I just, the definition or how you kind of have shaped that is a very different way of looking at following Jesus than sometimes our culture at large looks at, or, you know, even people in the church. So, well, and what you just said really makes me think a product of that might even be just privatization of faith. You know, as we think of our faith in just a personal sense and not in a corporate sense, um, I think sometimes we miss that a little bit in our current moment is my faith is personal, which having a personal relationship with Jesus is very important. But then when it becomes privatized or personalized, what you really, you know, challenge me, Joel, with the thought of just like that vision of some people are in the game to play and some are on the bench. 
And I think, you know, I've seen that with a lot of my friends even, that they say, you know, you're in vocational ministry. There's people who are missionaries and on the missions field. Um, but I just work as a barista. I'm just working at the fast food place. I work at a retail place, you know, and so I can't really live this out there. Or, I, you know, you're a part of that, that thing, but um, I guess my faith is personal, but how do I, how do, I do anything else with it? There, you know, it's, it's very interesting that you go all the way back to creation mm-hmm. and there's this linchpin of purpose that from the very beginning when there was really nothing, you know, like, I mean, literally there's nothing, but God gave Adam and Eve like a divine purpose. And he told them, you know, like brief, be fruitful, multiply, take dominion over the earth. And there was this like a linchpin almost, there was this hub of eternal purpose that was placed in the garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we live in a world that tries to pull us away from this centralized purpose and make us into consumers. Right. You know, where we're told every day how important we are and how much our opinion matters and how much we need to be satisfied with everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when we look at New Testament Christianity, this is something that that kind of flies in the face of specifically Western Christianity, um, the thought that there is this separation of professional clergy and and those who are right. th- those who go to church. You go outside of the United States most of the time to places where the gospel has not been preached. When they accept the Lord and they read the New Testament, the only thought is, "What is my job?" Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like that is so foreign to us mm-hmm. that, that we would actually just, I mean, and let's, let's really put, I mean, I don't know if this is like good for your viewers or listeners or whatever, <laughs> but I would just say, in my opinion, it's producing a emasculated form of Christianity mm-hmm. where we really don't have very much authority and our churches are really weak. Mm-hmm. And most of the people in the pew, they, they barely make it through every week. They're not living a life abundantly. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're not living an abundant life is because they have a life void of eternal purpose, yeah. which is missions, which is missiology and waking up and realizing, what is my job? Mm-hmm. Meaning. What is my function? Yeah. And, you know, it's purpose, it's peace, it's fulfillment, and it's something that you can't buy. Yeah. It's just found in realizing that you were made in the image of God and there's a purpose for you. There's an eternal purpose for you. Yeah. That's good. It's tough because I think, you know, in our Western American world, we're, we're so, um, indoctrinated in our culture and we don't even realize it. And so the, the end goals of culture become what we think the end goals of our, our life are. Mm -hmm. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, God completely redefines our purpose, our end goals, a pursuit of our life. And so in America, you know, what is that pursuit? It might be financial success, career success, the, the, you know, Christmas card, picturesque family, like whatever our end goal is, I always think of, you know, what do you want or what is your vision of your future? And when you look at that, you can tell kind of what your, your personal mission is. Mm-hmm. And for those of us who follow Jesus, we shouldn't be seeing the culture that our mission projects. We should be seeing the culture that Jesus projects. But the challenge there then too is that completely redefines our life. Mm-hmm. It recalibrates our, our daily and weekly rhythms and where we spend our time and how we use our resources. And so, um, you know, 
we're bringing this conversation. It seems like we're really talking about purpose, mm-hmm. our, the purpose of our life. But practically, I mean, isn't that hard? Like just to right. to shift everything. I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, there. and some of the, and just to kind of tag on, we can throw it to you, Joel, on the, uh, with this. Some of our cultural suits at large is comfort and to even not even to necessarily acquire certain things, but to avoid certain things, mm-hmm. to avoid any kind of inconvenience, to avoid any kind of pain. I want to make sure I'm safe. You know, we're seeing a lot of that right now with uh, with what COVID has done is created this idea that I'm supposed to be safe. Um, and uh, that's that's not always the, the viewpoint from Scripture it wasn't how Jesus lived his life. And so um, I think some of that for followers of Jesus, we, we, we can easily get, I can as well, get caught up in this idea that um, really God, you know, he, he just wants me to be comfortable and safe and secure and maybe security and safety are two different things, I would think. But um, well, even the idea that Jesus, you know, maybe God, God wants us to be happy or happy. And yeah. The American vision is, you know, the pursuit of happiness, but hardship, trial, suffering, pain, those things definitely get in the way of happiness. Yeah. So that if, if yeah, it's a challenge on that, you know, Jesus followers, Jesus himself suffered. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's something here to interject. Yeah. And I would say that I think it's time for Christians and in, in our atmosphere um, especially those who are listening right now to differentiate between happiness and joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And happiness has additions. Happiness is, is fleeting. Happiness is grabbing the wind mm-hmm. and you may have it today and it can be gone tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But see in my life, this is what happened. I started reading biographies. I started reading lives of great men and women of God who had been through tremendous suffering mm-hmm. and I read their stories and I found examples that they never, maybe never had happiness mm-hmm. because maybe they spent considerable amounts of time in prison or they considerable amounts of time being persecuted for their faith or considerable amounts of time in concentration camps, whatever that looked like. Right. Mm-hmm. But the underlying thing is they had amazing joy Hmm. that cannot be taken away from them. Yeah. You know, and I started looking at that and I was like, I want that. Like, I don't want to feel like every day I have to wake up and fill my life with emptiness to find happiness again. Mm -hmm. Because anyone that's fallen in and out of love, anyone that's bought a new car, anyone who's listening (laughs) to this right now, and you have changed churches because you thought there was a better church across town you're happy for a moment and then your happiness is gone. Right. Because if happiness comes from things, those things, once they're removed or once they lose their luster, then all of a sudden you find out there's not real joy there. So I don't know if we can talk a little metaphorically, you know, like let's, let's just slide into this. Yeah. Um, you know, I believe it's very important. Probably one of the central rules in my life has come to, Living a life on mission. And when you would say, how do you do that? Yeah. How we can do that, just in a very simple term, is we can live our life guided by one question. The question of the day, every day of my life is this, is Jesus happy? Hmm. My question is not, am I happy? 
Are things going the way I want them to go? Are they the way I plan them to go? Because, I mean, there's many times I'm stalled in traffic. I'm sitting in an airport. I'm at a place I don't want to be. I'm in a situation or circumstance that I can't really control. And if I'm focused on happiness, if I'm (laughs) focused on my happiness, Mm -hmm. it's fleeting. And it's always going to be shifting around. But at the end of the day, if I can say, listen, is Jesus happy? (laughs) Then all of a sudden it takes all of the production it, it, it all of the results, it takes them off the table. Mm-hmm. And I start looking at how I, how I live my life. Mm-hmm. And you'd ask yourself like, how, so how do we do that? How do we get in line with God? Yeah. I don't know if, 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 you know, a lot of people, and I'm sure that whoever's listening here today, you have many levels of listeners. You have some people that are, they're in it and they're like, yes, there's some people that are just like, I don't even know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> uh, but I can tell you this. There are ways for us as believers to kangaroo our faith with Jesus. Now, what does that mean? I love this term. If there's a newborn baby that has a heart defect, hmm. there's uh, many babies that'll be born that, you know, they're born with um, arrhythmia or something like that. And their heart yeah. does not beat in correct rhythm. Yeah. The way they fix that is they place the baby on its mom. And actually, the mom's heartbeat will set the rhythm of the baby's heartbeat. It's crazy. You know, it, 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 how amazing is it to think about when, the, when, when John, the beloved, leaned over and placed his head on the Lord's chest, that there was quite possibly a bit of kangarooing going on. That's what the doctors call that. Hmm. And, and that, that he leaned in just to kind of hear God's heartbeat. If we're talking about doing mission and we're talking about fulfilling our purpose and we're talking about really finding biblical joy, then we need to know fundamentally that's the heartbeat of God. Mm -hmm. That's the heartbeat of God. And how do we find the heartbeat of God? I would tell you tremendously, first and foremost, read the lives of great men and women of God. Let them serve as an inspiration to you, Not not as a mountain that you can't climb, but what can be. Let those serve as what could take place in your life. Read the New Testament. Read the gospel. Spend time with Jesus in the gospel. Months at a time, years at a time with Jesus in the gospels, and just see what can possibly take place with those who are in heartbeat with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then something that I do on a daily basis, um, every day, I've made a commitment for the past, I don't know how many years, but I make three, a minimum of three sacred pauses throughout the day. And uh, the reason I do that is just because most of the time I don't get it. Most of the time I let stuff crawl in. We live in a world filled with marketers and their job is to convince us of why we're unhappy (laughs) and that we need their product to make ourselves happy. And, you know, we have to realize that all of that background noise, whether we are processing it in a literal sense or if it's something that's subliminal, it's getting to our heart. All the noise of 24-hour news cycles, all the noise of politics and opinion and everything you can imagine, it fills our life. And I I found out, you know, when Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, in the Sermon on the Mount, his disciples came to him and, you know, it's, it, they asked him to, in the book of Luke, teach us to pray. And he taught them the Lord's Prayer. 
And, you know, for me, it's just stopping at least three times a day because that was the minimum for the disciples because they were good Jews. They had to pray three. They had to pray three times a day. If they needed to pray and they walked with Jesus in the flesh, do we not think that maybe in our life, our little prayer before we leave our house in the morning may not be enough for us to get through the day? Mm-hmm. Just for us to get back between the ditches of hearing the heartbeat of God and staying on mission. That's really great. That's good. And, you know, while you're talking, I even thought about, I mean, that's a great metaphor that kangarooing our heart and, and matching our, the rhythm of our heart up to the rhythm of God. And as you talk about these pauses and these rhythms, um, they're intentional time in proximity with Jesus, in, in communion with him. And I had the opposite images. Oftentimes, maybe we're unaware of it, but we're kangarooing our heart to our culture. Mm-hmm. And we're spending more of our time in proximity to and in the rhythms of our world. And so our world is frantic and anxious and overwhelmed and full of panic and fear. And if that's where our hearts are attuned, then that's that's the rhythm we pick up. Exactly. 100%. Mm. That's good. Mm. I'm just kind of thinking through, first of all, I'd love for you to even throw out a couple of... Um, I don't know if you would call them biographies or whatever, but uh, some men and women that you've read that you would recommend. Um, I'll let you think about that. And then, um, yeah, I think, you know, when I was, when Khalil was talking, I was thinking about the, just the self-centeredness that we don't even realize sometimes of our culture, that when we are in tune with our culture, all of that's happening, but we're also forgetting that our life wasn't meant just to, we're not meant just to worry about ourselves. And um, when you're tethered to Jesus, when you are walking with your rabbi, then you can't help but notice the person that needs a helping hand. You can't help but right. but see the, the individual that might be struggling with their faith or somebody who, you know, we have listeners who are not followers of Jesus that, you know, maybe, you know, you notice somebody who isn't following Jesus and you say, you know what, I want them to know what I what I know. I want I want them to experience this love and I want to become friends with that person um, simply because I'm supposed to like because Jesus befriended me and therefore I'd like to get a coffee with that individual like we the, it just shifts our focus from ourselves onto those around us. Um, and that's just I mean, obviously very brief, but I know for me, some uh some conversations I've had with like uh, medical professionals, therapists, counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, there is a, uh, like one of the root causes of psychosis is Mm self-centeredness. Yeah. It's really um, narcissism. It's just thinking about yourself. And and, and, I mean, even like the worst is like you are, you become self-centered, you become, everything is about you and about your self-fulfillment and everything else. And I know that, I mean, this is not like non-spiritual, but just saying realistically that, you know, for us, um, you know, one of the, one of the main things that those counselors or, or psychologists would do, it, they would tell you, um, look, look at someone else, mm-hmm. help your neighbor. It's good. Open up your eyes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. isn't it amazing that all of this is like reflected through Jesus telling his disciples, open up your eyes and see that the harvest is white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. he, he uses these he uses these these little sayings that are tied in that we have to believe and we have to understand that God knows us better than we know ourselves. Mm-hmm. He knows humanity. 
He knows who we are. He knows our address. Mm-hmm. He knows what we need to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some good books? Yeah. Oh my goodness. There's a lot of good books, <laughs> but I would tell you like if there's a, maybe if you're looking for just a general overview, Richard Foster wrote an amazing book called Streams of, Streams of Living Water. Mm-hmm. Um, it has many, many biographies. I read voraciously. I read way too much. So for me to tell you, mm-hmm. you know, like what to read, a lot of the stuff that I'm reading is, is probably not going to be in very many people's map. Mm-hmm. But I would encourage you as well to read Desert Fathers. You can probably find like a hundred different books on the Desert Fathers, their history, the men in the first four to five centuries of the church that would mm-hmm. kind of walk away from society and just seek God. Um, amazing. You know, probably one of my favorite stories is uh, John the Short. And he was a actual dwarf and he <laughs> came into uh, came into an, an abbot and wanted to join a cloister and become a monk. And the abbot told him that he had to go through a trial. And uh, he put John in a place in the middle of the desert. And the story goes is he gave him a walking stick. And he told John to water the walking stick, right? <laughs> He's in the desert. And the story goes that it was a three-mile walk to get water at the oasis and a three-mile walk back through the desert. And John watered the stick every day. It took three years. And all of a sudden, John walked out one day and the stick had bloomed. (laughs) And when the stick had bloomed, he went back to the abbot and he told the abbot, he says, you know, here this is. And it eventually produced fruit. And the, and the, the, the spiritual father there looked at him and he said, behold the fruit of faithfulness. You know, how amazing is that? Just persistence. Yeah. Just stories like that, that we can look at in our life. No, I mean, that's like, who knows if it really happened because it's right. like 1700 years ago. <laughs> but I mean, the, the, the reality is it's been passed down in church tradition mm-hmm. and those things can serve us as an inspiration. But the Foster book is amazing because it opens up contemporary and early church history and also biblical narrative biography. So it's a great broad spectrum. If anyone's looking to kind of look for a launching point, that's a great book to start with. Good. That's good. And we'll put it in the show notes so it's easy to find and maybe a couple others as well. Um, As we're kind of zeroing in um, nearing the end of this episode, I was just going to ask, you know, we talked a lot in the beginning just about living on on purpose, living on mission, and we kind of touched on hardship a little bit. Um, Do you think that living on mission with Jesus will bring hardship or will bring suffering? And if so, then what does that look like just for us everyday followers of Jesus? Maybe the the ones we perceive ourselves as being the ones who sit on the bench. Like, how do we embrace that? How do we step into mission? Why do it? I know that's a broad question, but it's just focusing down on that purpose again. So, you know, first of all, will it come? Um, I think if there's a Christian that would tell you that pain would not come into your Christian walk, then they're like diametrically opposed to what Jesus told his disciples because he told them, you know, in this life, you're going to have troubles. You're going to have pain. You're going to have persecution. And let me tell you this, everybody does. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether you're following Jesus or you don't, you can't insulate your life and stay away from pain. We proved this through the whole coronavirus thing. There's not one person listening right now who hasn't been touched in one way, shape or form by the pain of coronavirus, whether it's 
loss of job or a loss of life or sickness or whatever that is, we cannot isolate or insulate ourselves from pain. It just does not happen, even though there is this crazy concept that we can do that in the United States (laughs) because it doesn't. There is going to come pain into our life. But the question would be, we can either choose to live a life self-centered, consumeristic, based on our happiness. And you know what that means? That means when pain comes to our life, it wrecks our life and it has zero purpose. Or we can live a life based on the heartbeat of Christ. We can live a life based on pleasing Jesus and making Jesus happy. And we realize that when those pains come into our lives, they can actually serve us for an eternal purpose. They can make us better humans. I can look back on my life as a Christian. I suffered, I've suffered pain from my stupidity and from my sin, mm-hmm. as we all have. Mm-hmm. And I have suffered pain for my faithfulness to the cause of Christ. And I can tell you right now, as a 45-year-old, I would prefer the pain that comes from being faithful to Christ. Yeah, Because I can look back and say, many, many times, that pain made me better. Mm -hmm. It made me a better man, a better husband, a better father, a better human. It made me a better me when I was able to embrace that and roll with it. And, you know, I think you reach a place in your life. And I would pray that everyone listening would reach this place that we could say with Job, though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. That even though if the pain comes, I still trust God. Mm -hmm. I trust in his goodness. I trust that he loves me and I trust that he knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. It's good. good. I love that you just, I think, I, I don't want to go past it too quickly. The idea that when we follow Jesus, we know that pain can serve purpose. But we'd be so bold to say if there's a rejection, outright rejection of God and his goodwill and what he says is right and true and good, then oftentimes pain serves no purpose but just to destroy us and to wreck us. I've seen it happen in my friends who are not followers of Jesus and I I plead, yeah, even now, plead draw near to Jesus, lean into him. It's much better. You know, probably <laughs> just, just on a closing of that thought. Yeah. One of the things that jumps out to me is the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. And we read this prayer in the book of John. It's kind of like one of the insights that John gives us to that very intimate prayer for Jesus was betrayed. And uh, when he's praying there in the book of John, he says, you know, Lord, if there's any way to let this cup pass from me, this incredible pain that was coming down his the tube. Um, and he's having this, and John pictures this dialogue with God, the father mm-hmm. that none of the other books really picks up. And this dialogue that John is having with the, that Jesus is having with the God, the father is he says this, he said, Lord, but my prayer is that in through this pain, you would be glorified. Mm-hmm. So if we could ever look at something as an example, yeah, And say, as twisted, as nasty, as demonic and diabolical as the cross was, something very beautiful came out of it. If God can do that, he can take any circumstance or situation in our life 
and he can bring glory to himself through it. Mm. Good. Yeah. And so going good. back to something you said earlier, in the midst of that, even trial, hardship, suffering, when we do it in faithfulness and trusting God in it, you can ask that question, is God happy or is God pleased mm-hmm. here? And you mm-hmm. can you can say yes. Mm-hmm. And if that's the ultimate question, there's joy. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Most definitely. Good. You have a podcast. Why don't you let us know, let the listeners know where they can maybe find you on your podcast. All right. So. We're on all platforms. Okay. I apply, you know, uh, what do you call it? Sorry. Apple. Apple. Apple, Apple, Apple yeah. Buzzsprout, the whole nine yards, <laughs> like all the stuff. Um, sage spirituality. Sage And really kind of our, what we do, um, I'm just a church history junkie. And our deal is we lean in and we reach back and we go deeper with God. And so uh, our point is probably to get outside of the conventional wisdom of what's going on in, um, in the world right now and reaching back to some of the church fathers, some of the people in the past who have a voice that speak to what we're going on, what's happening right now. So, yeah, absolutely. That's good. That's awesome. Cool, man. We need Thanks. that. Yeah. So if we you're do. listening, we'll put it in the show notes. Check it out. Make sure to go listen and subscribe to his, Joel's podcast as well. Good conversation. Fantastic. Joel, thanks so much. Thank for you for being us. on with Thank us, bro. Thank you so much. And uh, to our listeners, man, yeah, please, please, if you've enjoyed these conversations, rating, reviewing, subscribing, wherever you're listening, that just means the world to us and can, continues to help support the show. And uh, until next time, is God pleased? Step into calling, step into mission, live on purpose with God this week.